Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, as you know, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. My job is to get you off the brink. And I go looking for people who have really interesting ideas to share with you, to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. That's why today I have Melissa Copeland, and Melissa is here to help you talk about the customer of tomorrow and how to serve them. But what's really interesting is her own journey and what she sees going on in the market and how she can help you see it through that fresh lens that I want you to have. Remember, time to get off the brink and the times they are changing. So let's soar together. Melissa, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Share with the listeners, who is Melissa? And how did you get to where you are now? And why are you so interested in it? Please share your story. Sure. It's a wandering path, but I think many people have those uh, nowadays. It was less common when I started working, but I actually started as a documentary producer, producing travel documentaries and and trotting around the globe um, doing that, which I love. Um, It didn't take long, about two years for me to learn that it was really hard to afford my rent and lunch and a bus pass (laughs) on the salary a documentary producer makes. Um, So I tootled over to business school. And business school wasn't at all what I expected. It was much more of a structured education versus um, some of the intellectual inquiries that I was expecting to find. Um, so I, if there is such a thing, it sounds like an oxymoron, but I was a bit of a countercultural business school student. Coming out of grad school, though, um, I landed in a job in strategy at what was then Ameritech, so now AT&T. And I was sent to one of the wholesale divisions. So think of the really technical engineering kind of in the um, more old fashioned parts of the company. And here I was this, you know, kid who had been a documentary producer and, you know, my background was in history and writing and I learned to speak engineering and I learned to speak pension. um, And I had more fun than I ever thought I would uh, in the corporate world. Um, And so I was rotated in the seven years that I was there through almost every functional area. So I got a taste of strategy, sales, marketing, um, and wound up doing two types of international assignments. One was a startup based in Chicago, and the second was an assignment based in Brussels, Belgium for two years. And those were amazing. And and a couple of the things that I really learned was the, the language of business is really one of figuring out how to connect with people and how to define problems and then organize toward a solution, whether it's through collaboration, whether it's through um, directing or self-directed teams or any of those pieces. Um, and so one of the things I didn't expect that I've used my entire career since then was during that time in Brussels, the techniques that you learn growing up in the United States um, to influence people with um, money or sales incentives or performance incentives didn't work the same way in a different culture and context. And that notion of what is my culture and context and how do I get the result I need one of the things I learned was rather than um, in the U.S., you know, if you wanted to get something done, you have a meeting, you divide up the tasks and everybody goes and does it. In the situation I was in, in Brussels, if you had a meeting, the way to get people engaged was to give everybody the opportunity to participate in the brainstorming, uh-huh. right? So no matter what it was, if you called it brainstorming, people were highly engaged because everyone wanted a piece of the ideas and to really feel like what would today be called an influencer, 
um, but to really be part of the, the solution. And then, then folks would happily go and participate, you know, in terms of behavior change. So um, that has actually become a signature part of the consulting I do today. From, from that role, I moved through a couple of different roles, but I stayed in that arena of really working on customer experience and employee experience and helping folks um, move through changes that almost always benefit you know, customer, customer experience, and customer loyalty. And, and that's when I would say my, my love affair with customer service and, and contact center organizations started. Um, you, you formed your company, Blue Orbit Consulting, in 2014. Right. Typically, I would start an interview like this and read your resume, but I really preferred you to talk about this journey because it's a setup for what's happened since you set up your own company. So how did you go about, because your insights are extremely valuable today. We don't motivate people by giving them more money. That doesn't do anything. The research work. <laughs> you can give them more money, but it doesn't mobilize them. It doesn't motivate them. It's not what makes them uh, soar. And but there, there's something that took you from being inside to being a consultant and having your own company. What was the catalyst? Sure. Um, so I worked for many years for a consulting firm called the Northridge Group and was helped build the firm and was able to be the generalist moving across a lot of areas. Um, the firm had tremendous success. And I had one of those hard learnings uh, after about 12 years there. Uh, my kids were eight and five. And I was continuing to travel almost every week. And no matter where I was, I was on the wrong continent for somebody. And we got to a point where more often than not, it was my kids, um, you know, or team members or, or clients. But it really became a challenge that it was my kids that were on the wrong side of that. Um, so I left and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And that lasted, uh, that break lasted about two months. And we learned that I was terrible at carpooling, that I hated doing laundry, got rid of all of our household help. Um, but former clients and colleagues started calling with projects and saying, hey, you've always been really good at helping me think through hard problems. You know, will you come help me do this global technical support mm -hmm. approach? Will you come take a look at this process problem in my organization? And that's fundamentally how Blue Orbit was born. Um, so in 2014, I formed Blue Orbit. It was just me and a couple of high school and college babysitters um, who were <laughs> taking care of my kids, you know, before and after school. And as the firm grew, I really drove more focus uh, around not just kind of um, every phone call, though, and anyone that calls and says, can you help me think through this hard problem? I really enjoy hard problems, so I'm happy to help think them through, but really drove more focus around the, the pieces that I think are really important as, as businesses grow and move forward. And that is thinking through not just customer journey and some of the buzzwords around that, but also thinking through the service design for how you support that customer journey. And more recently, a lot of emphasis around employee engagement. So how do you make it easier on the employees to deliver the service design and a fantastic customer experience? So little by little, as the firm wrote, it started being engagements with me. And then I started building more team-based engagements to be able to implement at large organizations. Um, and then, you know, we land where we are today, where the business supports both some startup companies that are just starting on that journey. And it's tons of fun when you're, we have a blank slate 
And you're starting with the service design from the beginning. Um, and then the large organizations where you might have hundreds or thousands of people that you're trying to orchestrate. And then it, it's really more that collaboration and building a funnel of ideas for how can we accomplish the goals we need to get to. Well, but you and I both understand that the complexity of human interaction and conversations. You know, I always love Judith Glazer who said everything's a conversation. And the question is, what do we say to whom in what way to get what done? And that's not casual. And every culture is different. You know, the cultures inside each one of these small, large and otherwise, whether in Belgium or in the States or whatever they are, they just do things differently. And your description of the Belgian folks who wanted some autonomy, mastery and purpose, which is what we're talking about these days, it was quite different than here where we're Command and control tell you what to do and tactical and practical and not much gets done. So it's an interesting time. So some of the insights that you're pulling together, working over the last, you know, 2014 was a short, long time ago. And between the pandemic and all the things going on with technology and customer transformation, there's some key themes that you and I chat a little bit about. You know, can you share them with our listeners or our audience? Because I do think they're going through them and they want to know, what do I do now? How do I do this? Some thoughts. Sure. Um, I, I love how you you reference the autonomy and the mastery. One of the pieces that that you know, I first try to size up, is that culture and context in an organization? So, you know, I, I do feel compelled typically to look at data because you always have people in your team or your organization that need to be data-driven. And then we also have to look at some of the more qualitative aspects of what does it take to drive change? Like, are we talking about a jello situation where you boing in and boing back out? Are we talking about a situation where people are highly receptive to doing things differently? Um, some of the themes, and particularly, I would say, changes since 2020, um, a big one affecting a lot of organizations, whether we call it the great resignation or not, but the, the balance of power has shifted in terms of employees making choices about where they want to be. And so a challenge that many large organizations, and in particular, contact centers are, are dealing with is um, the, the vacancy rate in roles may be as high as 30%. So I have two clients right now that are down about 30% of people. And that puts enormous pressure on the organization and its ability to serve customers. To that end, um, there are two big themes that I've been working with a lot of clients on. One is the theme around what if the customer isn't always right? Um, and so how do you handle that? The first studies I've seen in years, uh, probably as long as I've been working in customer experience, started coming out in the fall illustrating a significant change in customer behavior, meaning um, historically, customers really cared about, um, was the agent I spoke with friendly? Were they pleasant? So we'll call that friendliness. And then they cared about, you know, is my question answered or is my problem resolved? The shift in the research over the past six months is customers care much, much more how fast something happens. So I, friendliness isn't at the top anymore, although I'd say it's table stakes in most organizations. It's really how quickly can you get to my question or get me an answer? And can you do it in the media that I choose to interact with you in? So can you do it by voice? Can you do it by self-service? Can you do it by chat? What are the different ways that I can connect with you on? Um, so that that's one huge arena. The second <coughs> arena combines the two getting answers quickly 
and then struggling with kind of making the workplace attractive for employees and making their roles easier. And so I'll call that the employee engagement or employee enablement tools. So in, in customer and service and contact center, lots and lots of been, has been written and talked about around how artificial intelligence or AI is used in bots and self-service so customers can do things themselves. The real frontier that I've been working with clients on for the past year, and I think it'll become bigger in the next two years, is really around how do you use that power to enable the human-to-human interaction? So how do I help an agent right, be as quick and effective with a customer that wants to interact by voice, or they have a question or a challenge that's too complicated for the self-service arena? Um, and so how do you deploy those tools on the market in a way that really makes the agent's job easier and makes employees feel like they can succeed in a difficult environment or make it, you know, ultimately makes that environment better? So I'd say those are the two big ones that I've been working with folks on um, that I think are the, the trends that are here to stay for at least 2022 to 2024. I'm curious because I had one client who um, was was had a very bad help desk, very bad. And they actually, we actually suggested they go and make their folks remote before the pandemic. They were Mm -hmm. actually in a fabulous position when the pandemic hit, but the remote gave their staff a much better work environment and they lost the turnover. They speeded up the responses and they realized that having them come in and sit and wait and have to get things done in, in place was dysfunctional for this particular organization. They were an IT outsource service provider. But what was important was that the people thought about it in terms of what mattered to them. Where did it matter that they work? What hours could they work as opposed to a box that they had to fit into and that autonomy and mastery? Um, they needed something to motivate them, to mobilize them, to want to do this as opposed to being you know, forced into it. And and so that became an interesting. My second point is that both consumers and employees are people. If you think of them as the same, as very important people, then your your customer and your staff are connected. It's not separate. And so now if we step back and look at them as, as one ecosystem, it's no longer what the customer wants. It's how the employee and the customer can solve a problem together collaboratively, as opposed to, I know you don't, I'll do it my time, you can't. It's really less adversarial or competitive and much more collegial. And are you seeing some of the same things? Absolutely. Um, so I think one of the really interesting uh, takeaways is remote work is something that had been talked about for a long time. Sure. Um, and there were companies that explored it, particularly for contact centers or or tasted different pieces of it um, in very targeted areas. The pandemic forced folks to do it on a mass scale. And what many organizations found was no productivity was lost. What they had to do, though, was figure out how to recreate some of the cultural aspects um, that existed when you brought people together. Um, it's a great example you give around the IT help desk because one of the one of the bigger satisfiers for folks that work in centers are being able to have hours that they can manage more effectively. And so for a center, the benefit is that they can have more people working part-time or split schedules or, or different approaches. And for employees, you've removed the transit piece 
Um, so they're more open to working. So I think those are often terrific solutions. And it's interesting to see organizations work through what's here to stay, because yes. when folks flipped the switch in March 2020, right, all the old processes went with them. Right. I think there's a real interesting opportunity for organizations that are willing to take a hard look. It's one, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought it was going to happen in 2021, and it didn't happen that much around getting rid of some of the low value processes and activities. But I'm optimistic that, that this year will be the year that many organizations step back and say, do I really need to do it that way? Or can I make it easier on everybody? Um, and then I, I don't think I can say it better than you did around the collegial approach to problem solving. Um, so it, it's typically um, a terrific uh, scenario when you can have an agent empowered to conduct a conversation the way they want to. And that requires a couple of things. It requires organizational trust and having the metrics or ways to measure the effectiveness of a conversation that go beyond process compliance. Right. So a traditional way of doing it was here's the process and you're measured on how you follow it. That doesn't drive the autonomy and mastery and some of the other things. What drives mastery of that process, but it doesn't drive mastery of the customer interaction. And so seeing more organizations move toward some of the, the enablement tools that allow agents to have the conversation that they want and need to have with a customer. Yep. to solve the problem. It's a very different how to achieve the same what. Um, so an example of some of the cooler new tools that are coming into play is um, some of the same artificial intelligence technology that makes self-service bots work can be deployed to help agents. So the bot can be sort of listening, if you will, to the conversation and picking up keywords and tone from the customer and then prompt the agent here are some documents that might help you. Here are the links and the reference material so that the agent can focus on the conversation, not zooming through multiple apps or wikis or web links yep. to find the information they need. And that goes toward your point around you can really drive a collegial situation more than you can an adversarial one. You give the employee a great shot at success versus the employee feels like they're on the front line. And now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth and soar again. My new book that came out in January, 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? 
send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. You raised a very important question, though. How do we evaluate, assess, and appraise our employees? There was a great article, I never see them. I used to evaluate them based upon how I felt about them. I mean, some of the honesty is profound. Oh, that's how you evaluated them. It wasn't on their performance per per se. It was how you liked them or not. And, And so now they're having a difficult time knowing what to evaluate. Uh, it's not just compliance with a rigorous um, you right. know, help desk script, um, or it's not how fast you answer the phone or how fast you solve the problem or how the customer evaluated you. This is all experiential. Uh, and it's richer in many ways and more challenging to evaluate in another. And, and I'm not quite sure how to tap into the customer's satisfaction. What does that mean when, when speed means? And I'll give you one little speed thing. Um, one of the uh, CEO groups I was doing my research in, um, uh, the, the gentleman said he's in the, um, the fertility centers. He said it used to be that we could set up an appointment with someone interested in, uh, in our methodology um, with the doctor, you know, over time. Now they want it immediately. And if I can't get the doctor to contact them immediately, however fast that is, they go somewhere else. And I say, welcome to a world of instantaneous gratification. You know, they're ready right now. I want that conversation. And he said, I don't know how to, I've had a Put a young person in charge of it now so they can appreciate what that young person is looking for because I can't figure it out at all. So now my question for you is as you're looking at this, how do we appraise the success of our customer service system? And what should people think about as they are evaluating their evaluation system? That those are great questions. So the, the first one is is relatively straightforward. So when looking at the success of a customer service organization or the customer experience, many of those metrics don't change. What changes is how you use them. So in terms of data, right, uh, one of the fun things about contact centers is you usually have an overwhelming amount of data. So you can see how quickly are customers connecting to the answer that they want. um, And you should be able to calculate how many times are you getting the customer the right answer the first time? If you can't calculate it, that's a great subject for us to talk about and brainstorm how to get to it. But you should know how often is the agent able to satisfy the customer. And when they can't, you need to divide into two groups, the things that are agent-specific and the things that are systemic. So, right, no agent could have solved it because of other other reasons. So there's a an overall framework for looking at how quickly am I serving the customer? And then was the customer satisfied? And, and I would argue most importantly, was their issue solved on the first call? Mm-hmm. That does push by the wayside some old metrics. So an older metric would be looking at how long it took. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Melissa, typically, I don't care how long it took. Mm-hmm. If you did it right the first time and the customer's happy, We've avoided future calls and interactions that become more expensive and more time consuming. And we've made that customer of tomorrow happy because they have patience 
for very little uh, and certainly not for mistakes or ongoing um, back and forth about the same issue. When it comes to appraising the individual, that also is something that um, I, I love your example that, that is shifting, right? So it was always something where when people were in the same place, you would see someone at their desk, you would see if they were working and that, that vision that I can see you isn't there anymore. So that does drive more dependence on metrics and it does drive more conversation with the individual. So one of the things that I'm seeing is more and more trends toward talking to people about how they feel. Yes. I've never had so many conversations about feelings. You know, I'm working <laughs> with one client right now and we're doing a large transformation program. And a lot of our conversations are, how do you feel um, competent? Do you feel empowered? What are the things you're struggling with and how can I help you? So it is a much more honest move toward what I would call true coaching and development. Yep. And away from some of the performance management. Um, and, and some of those organizations wind up being my favorite clients yeah. because they're really interested in elevating everyone, the business's performance and the people providing it. Doesn't mean you ha don't have to deal with some specific performance situations, but it's a very different philosophy around let's look at your metrics and let's talk about how to make them better. Um, as opposed to here's the threshold and that's where you have to be. And I love what you're talking about, though. It's a great transformation, isn't it? Because slowly we are recognizing what can mobilize people. We're learning so much from the neurosciences, the cognitive sciences, everything from the curiosity quotient and the emotional intelligence and all the ways the amygdala and the brain works and what really gets people excited about what they're doing. You couldn't have done this without the pandemic generating this great transformation. And now we are changing how we're mm, managing people, asking them to feel the way we'd like them to. People didn't know what those words meant before and didn't care. But now, you know, we decide with the heart and the eyes. And how does it feel? How does it look? And then intellectually, we can look at the numbers that come out of that. It's interesting. One of the podcast I did with Lisa McLeod was about purpose and Joey Ryman's work on purpose and purpose-driven companies. Um, if you have purpose with the mastery and autonomy, you mobilize people to do far better than any other kind of um, ratcheting down to data-driven metrics. The, the data comes from being happy and that's not so terrible, is it? This is such fun. Yeah. Um, I would add, though, that, that for many organizations, it's a really difficult shift. People have been rewarded for a long time, right, uh, for complying with the process, right, doing the right things, you know, always, you know, being where you're supposed to be. Um, there's enormous opportunity in this transformation, but there's also a lot of fear and support required. Yes. And so, you know, I, I think the other interesting trend is many organizations, whether you call it change management or organizational change management, or you just call it transformation, or I have been known to call it whatever I need to call it to get it done. So we can call it process work. Yeah. Um, but really thinking through how do you help people through that difference? Yeah. Um, you know, because they may feel it, but particularly tenured employees will have a lot of trouble making the move. I want to add something and then we'll wrap because you're raising for our audience a very important thing. We live the story in our mind. 
the way humans survive is that we create a story in our mind and that becomes our reality. And Melissa says something very important because the, the tenured employees have a story that registered well for them in the past. They really knew how to do that well to keep their jobs and keep the boss satisfied. They played it really well. It was like a role on stage where they knew how to play Macbeth really, really well. And now they have to play Hamlet. And they don't have a clue what the script is or how to perform. And it isn't that they resist the change. They don't really know how to. You know, it's as if you've put them on stage and told them to play a new role. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it. They don't know how to behave with each other. They don't know what to expect. It's very scary, legitimately. And the brain hates to change. So it's got a lot of cortisol floating around up there. So as you're looking at your employees, you know, don't get angry. Figure out how to hire Melissa to come help you invent new ways to show them, you know, how to let go of that shiny object and come to the new. Because we used to say, if you want to change, have a crisis or create one. Because if not, your brain doesn't pay attention. I never expected this kind of crisis. I don't really want another one. But don't waste it. It's a great time. Melissa, this is such fun. Tell the listeners two or three things that you don't want them to forget. Sure. So um, uh, number one, uh, whether or not the customer is right, finding that collegiality and collaboration is critical to customer experience moving forward. Um, So figuring out your service design and how to deliver is is absolutely paramount. Um, The second point would be employee enablement and letting employees lead, but giving them the tools to do so. Um, So freeing them from some of the process compliance of of prior iterations is a terrific tool to do it. And, you know, I'm happy to brainstorm or chat with anyone about those. And then one more item that your last comment made me think of is, you know, I myself had one of these epiphanies in November. Uh, My daughter and I went from Chicago to New York and we saw Six on Broadway. (laughs) And so for those that aren't familiar with Six, it's about the wives of Henry VIII, uh, many of whom wound up, you know, decapitated or died of illness, had all these extraordinary adventures. Um, And we brought my aunt with us. So we covered multiple generations and my aunt knew the history better than anyone and loved the show for the history. My daughter loved the pop music and the takeoffs on Beyonce and Adele and, and the music that was there. And I got about half of each. (laughs) <laughs> and still loved it. And so I think of that as inspiration for, for listeners you do. around, you know, you don't have to be at any one extreme, but you do have to find a way to find some of the fun in it. Yeah. Um, and if you can find the fun, then you can move the culture forward. But that's a beautiful metaphor for everything you do for life, in fact, because it is the same experience seen through very different eyes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. The lenses were completely different. The story was exactly the same. You all sat in the same seats and watched it, had very different experiences. How better can we wrap up our conversation today? Melissa, if they'd like to reach you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. You can find me, Melissa Copeland, or uh, my firm, Blue Orbit Consulting, or via website, uh, the blueorbitconsulting.com website. You can also get to me through there quite easily. That's terrific. And we'll put all of this together on our blog. This is such fun. You and I could talk a great deal about the dilemmas and the opportunities. Remember, don't waste a crisis. And you're coming out of a very unusual one. But this is a time that has 
pushed us to transformation, great transformations, some of whom, some of us love it and others can't figure out how to get back to what was, but you can't, there's no what was. I doubt we'll ever see what was, we don't even remember what it was. And so, right, it's hard to go back, but instead it's a time to create your future. So don't waste it. It's a great time to do it. Melissa has been terrific today. For all of you who come, thank you for joining us. You come from around the globe. I mean, we're ranked in the top 5% of global podcasts. I'm honored. You send me great people to interview. Info, info at andysimon.com is where you can get to me. But the most important thing today that I'd like to share is buy my books. On the Brink with Andy Simon is all about On the Brink, a fresh lens to take your business to new heights and rethink smashing the myths of women in business. You can get them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you like to buy books. Um, but the point of the books is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. And this podcast is here to do the same. My job is to help you get off the brink and soar. And sometimes you need a little catalyst, a little push, a little nudge, because as we know, we get attached to that shiny object and we don't want to let go, but the times are changing. So enjoy the trip, stay well, and enjoy your day. Have a good one. Bye now.